Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojournal podcast by 1986 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Don Wallace. Don, welcome to the Sojournal podcast. Thank you, Tyson. It's great to be with you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for being our guest. If you don't mind, would you give a general introduction of yourself to those in our audience who may not know Don Wallace? Yes. As Tyson mentioned, I'm a 1986 graduate of Johnson, and um, I became the youth minister at Poplar Springs Christian Church uh, shortly thereafter in August of that same year. I'm married to my wonderful wife, Jane. And we have two children, Elise and Tyler, and five grandchildren. Excellent. So Poplar Springs, you came in as a youth minister in 86, and you haven't left. You're still there. Well, my stay in the youth ministry position was from August of 1986 until late 92. And then I was contacted by the Wingfield family, uh, very prominent folks at Johnson. Many of the kids have gone to Johnson and uh, we left in late 1992 and went to a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. And I took a youth ministry position there with Charles, working with Charles Wingfield and Steve, his son, uh, for a couple of years. And then came back to Popper Springs in late 94 and have been there uh, ever since. So I've been real fortunate in that respect. Wow. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that journey, that part of your journey here later in the podcast. But before we get there, uh, tell me about your childhood. Where were you raised? Uh, was it a Christian home? That kind of thing? I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia. The Christian home question is interesting because we did go to church. Uh, there was a United Methodist Church that uh, we attended quite a bit when I was a young child up until my mid-teens. Although I did have a foundation we were not what I would would consider to be real strong Christians. Um, unfortunately, we left the church in my mid-teen years because of an unfortunate incident that happened with one of the staff members at the church. Mm. And our family was out of church for several years. So again, I did have that foundation, something to go back to later, which I'm grateful for. So you attended this United Methodist Church through your teens, and you said that was foundational for you, but yet you had gone away from the church from your mid-teens on. So at what point then did you re-encounter, rediscover, and get back and connected with that foundational faith? I had uh, extended family, a uh, couple of aunts and uncles, their families that started uh, going to what would eventually become my home church. Farmdale Church of Christ, the next town over from Huntington where I grew up in a little town called Barbersville. Actually, one of those aunts of mine that I was very close to reach out, reached out to me. She called me on the telephone and just expressed her concern, you know, for my spiritual condition and said, we would love to have you to come to Farmdale. So I started attending services 
and um, probably about a year later, uh, gave my life to Christ fully uh, there at Farmdale. Mm. How old were you? I was 19 years old. 19. So yeah. by that time, you had graduated high school. Yeah, correct. Was there any college on your radar at that time? I had actually been to Marshall University, uh, which is in my hometown of Huntington, for about a half a semester. But I didn't have any plans. I didn't have any kind of a life path marked out for myself. I was very unsure about what my future was going to be. Truthfully, I went to Marshall because that's what so many kids in my hometown did. It was, you know, right there in Huntington. And since I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, about a half a semester in, I just got frustrated and threw, threw my hands up and quit because mm. I had no idea what I was going to do. So was it that waywardness and wandering that caused your aunt to reach out and express concern? I think it probably was. She may have also become aware of some of my habits, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, typical teenage stuff, running around and and doing things that I I knew better than to do. And uh, I'm sure she, she was aware. Your family's always aware of much more than you think they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I find that interesting. So she expresses concern, says she wants you to come over to the church there at Farmdale's. Church of Christ. At that time, were you searching for something more? Or, I mean, I'm just trying to envision how a teen might respond, especially a teen who has gone wayward. And I mean, why didn't you just tell her to forget it? Well, again, I'm, you know, doing some of the things I was doing specifically, I was drinking, drinking way too much. Again, from my foundation, even when I was doing those things, man, I knew that I was in the wrong. Mm. And yes, I definitely was looking for something different. The The youth minister at Farmdale Church at that time was Bob Martin's son, former professor Bob Martin's son, Steve, a Johnson graduate. And although I was too old to be in the youth group, he befriended me and we, we both liked many of the same things. He was an athlete. I was an athlete. So we began to do some things together. He really reached out to me. Uh, in addition to that, Brent Brewer, who is a current professor at Johnson now, his father was the preaching minister at Farmdale at that time. So Brent began to reach out to me, and we shared some things in common along those same lines, athletics. So, gosh, in looking back, Tyson, those relationships were just absolutely vital to you know, me moving forward and being able to leave my past behind and knowing that God had something so much better for me in the future. Wow. So you expressed that your family left the United Methodist Church due to some issues there with the church. Were they issues directly related to your family or just within the church that kind of soured your family's appetite for faith? The preaching minister was a womanizer. And our family members took that to the leadership and they chose to do nothing about it. So my immediate family, uh, one, two, three sets of aunts and uncles and my maternal grandparents who had all been in that church uh, left over that issue, of course. Now, did your family members find their way back? I mean, obviously your aunt was involved with the church there. Yeah, all those other family members that I just mentioned, other than my immediate family, eventually wound up at Farmdale Church of Christ. Mm. 
So that was my connection, my, my initial connection to Farmdale, of course, before I met Steve Martin, Brent Brewer, and the other people that were to become my friends there. Mm. Did your did your parents ever make their way back? Oh, yes. I was actually able to baptize uh, my mother and my little brother later on after I became a Christian in um, September of 1980. And then at some point, I left for Johnson in, in August of 81. At some point in that little less than a year, that 11-month period, I was able to baptize my mom and my younger brother. Yeah. That's so great. I yeah, really it. cool. Uh, forgive me for noticing you came to Johnson in 81 and graduated in 86. So were you like me? Did you cram your degree into five years? <laughs> my wife came into Johnson a year after me. She came in in the fall of 82. And uh, I just decided to take some extra classes. And And uh, the plan was for us to graduate together. We became pregnant with our first child. We knew we were going to have two children. We didn't know when those were going to come. And uh, she got pregnant in her fourth year, my fifth year. And as it turned out, unfortunately, she was unable to graduate. I was able, able to graduate. Of course, she came back later and was able to complete her education and even has a master's degree from Johnson now. So God worked it all out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, love it. Okay, so that time from Marshall to Johnson, uh, how did your faith develop? And ultimately, I I'm only assuming that the influence of Steve Martin and Brent Brewer's dad is sort of what pointed you to Johnson. But tell me about how you went from Marshall to Johnson. They certainly were very instrumental, really, because I still didn't have any direction in life as vocationally. Didn't didn't know you know where I was going to wind up, what I was going to be doing for a living. Some folks there at Farmdale, Steve, Brent, especially, began to talk with me about coming to Johnson just for a year and taking some Bible classes. And then they threw in, you could play a year of college basketball. Well, man, that had been a dream of mine since I was a little boy. So I perked up and um, was able actually to go and watch Johnson play against KCC at the time, KCU now in Grayson in that intervening year. So I got excited about that. And um, I just decided that I was going to go to Bible college for a year, take their advice, I get, in, get enrolled in some Bible classes and play a year of college basketball with no intention at that point of going into ministry. Wow. So were you a basketball player in high school? Yes. And were you good? I was a decent player in high school, but I... I improved tremendously in the two years in between high school, graduated from high school in 79, mm -hmm. and then did not become a student at Johnson until the fall of 81. So uh, they sometimes re refer to those players as late bloomers. I, mm -hmm. I, I improved a tremendous amount in those two years after high school before coming to Johnson. Were you playing pickup ball or how, how did you improve? Oh, yeah, I was playing pickup ball. Uh, there was a, a summer league that was um, taking place there in – uh, Huntington, and um, several current and former Marshall players played in that summer league. So getting to compete against them raised my game. I would go down to the Marshall University campus to a gym called Gullickson Hall and play in the summers between current players, uh, against current players and with current players. And again, it just raised my, my game a whole lot. Yeah. Wow. So you watched that basketball game between Johnson and KCU. Did that play a role in you saying, yeah, I can hang with these guys? 
it did. I, I thought at that point that I that I, I probably could play with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tell me about your recruitment process then when you, when you actually started checking out Johnson seriously. Did uh, did Doug Carnes play any role in you coming, or how did that look? The first time I met Doug was in February of 1981. Steve Martin, the youth minister at Farmdale at the time, again, took myself, uh, another freshman that came in with me, Susan Cox, and some other kids from the youth group who wanted to check out the campus of Johnson. And we just came down in February for a visit. I actually got to see another game when I was on campus uh, there at Johnson in the in the PW gym at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, in the dining hall, I still remember Steve, of course, knew Coach Carnes. I think they'd been in school together. So I got to meet him and um, talk with him a little bit about the basketball program. Yeah. Okay. So what was that part of your experience like as a basketball player with the university? And what was it like, you know, being coached by Doug Carnes and those on his team? Well, socially, being able to be involved with those guys on the basketball team was awesome because when I came in, to school in the fall of 1981, I had an immediate peer group. Mm. We would go up to the gym and play long before the season ever began. So I began to bond with those guys and make relationships with them in a hurry because we shared, you know, that common interest. So I'm, as I look back now, you know, it's been been over 40 years since I arrived on the campus of Johnson. Man, the Lord was just orchestrating so many things in my life, Tyson, that I was unaware of at the time and providing those guys, many of whom were, were much more mature in the Lord than I was. They'd been in the church all their lives. So I'm so grateful that I had that immediate peer group to relate to and be involved with on that Bible college campus. Coach Carnes was great. He was a, he was a strong leader. He was, um, he was like me. He was extremely competitive. <laughs> Even though we were Christians, we really did want to beat the brains out of every team <laughs> we played. <laughs> In, in Christian love, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we shared that that interest, and and needless to say, he was he was a great influence on my life. I needed I needed a strong leader, and somebody that would hold all of us to account. You know, mm-hmm. for our walk with the Lord, uh, as well as being responsible to uh, to play well on the on the floor and, and represent Johnson well with our behavior. So tell me one or two stories that stand out to you from your time uh, journeying with the basketball team from place to place. What are some things that stick out to you that people might like to know? Well, I guess the thing that I'm proud of is, you know, on occasion we would play schools that were a division above us. At the time, we were uh, National Christian College Athletic Association Division Two, which meant we were non-scholarship. Mm-hmm. But we were playing against schools like Milligan that were NCCAA Division One, Bryan College, uh, Covenant College. And we were not only able to compete with those teams, but we beat some of those teams. So I guess it was one of those situations where we had everything to gain <laughs> by playing them, and they really had everything to lose. I think looking back, we played Covenant uh, eight times. We played them twice a year during my four-year career. And I think we beat them three out of the eight times that we played them. As far as you know, on the floor basketball moments, those are proud moments to look back on. How about off the floor? What are some of the experiences you had with your team? Well, that group of guys just was was so close. And uh, my best friend became Bobby Fishburn. We roomed together. We were in each other's weddings. 
I still stay in touch with so many of those guys that I played with. Most of the time it's by text message, Mm -hmm. but just to check on each other to see how we're doing. So, you know, again, looking back, Tyson, I I wouldn't take anything for the memories that we made together and the closeness that that those experiences brought into our lives. Yeah, it's really neat. So as a student then, obviously, you know, you were a basketball player that developed your, you know, your character, your life a lot. What about interacting with the rest of the student body as a basketball player? Did you, did you have yourself a lot of time? Did you find yourself engaging well with the rest of the campus community? Yeah. Johnson at the time was a, was a much smaller community um, enrollment wise. As best I remember, I think we, we probably had about 425 students. I don't think the, the enrollment ever got above that. So although you don't get to know everybody on a deep personal level, you know almost everybody, at least by first name. Mm. So the thing t- that, was, that stands out to me about the Johnson community was everybody was so friendly. The professors also on top of that, Tyson, were so accommodating of students coming to their home. Um, I remember being welcomed into the home of, of David Inyart, uh, the homiletics professor at the time. Again, Bob Martin, Bob and, and uh, Mary Lou would hold a weekly a prayer time when I was a student at Johnson. So, guys, just, just again, looking back on the overall friendliness and how accommodating um, the, the faculty and the administration was to us students is, is just amazing. And those people were so genuine about their walk with Christ. They wanted to be able to pass that on to those of us who were not quite as spiritually mature as they were. And uh, they did more than model that. They they invited you into their presence to be able to share those experiences. And it was just, man, it was just life-changing in so many ways. Wow. So what do you remember most about your academic time, your, your classes? Is there is there any uh, particular professor that really struck a chord with you or any lessons that any of them taught that you still remember? Well, academically, things were tough for me. <laughs> you know, I came to Johnson after that you know, short experience at Marshall. I think probably in between those two, I'd made up my mind that I probably was not going to go back to school. Mm. When I was in high school, I really didn't have any plans to explore and chase after higher education. So I didn't take any college prep classes. So when I got on the campus of Johnson, man, I found out in a hurry that they were not only deathly serious about preparing workers for the kingdom, but they were definitely serious about academic excellence. Mm. And at the time, I don't know what the grading scale is now. I still have that thing memorized. The lowest A was a 95. (laughs) And uh, I made very few of those. (laughs) I was an average student in high school. So I don't know what my my GPA was when I graduated. I have an idea. It was probably somewhere in the the mid-70s. It was a constant, constant struggle because the academic excellence was, was there. And I really had to work hard, you know, to, to keep up. Mm-hmm. You ask about professors that were, you know, a, a major influence, Bob Martin, Bob was just, um, he was so deep. I still have his notes in a filing mm-hmm. cabinet of mine. And sometimes I refer back to those. I've used some of his thoughts for communion meditations through the years. Um, I've used some of them in sermons. Another professor that I took as often as I possibly could especially when he would uh, offer electives 
was Dr. Mattingly. I just loved his delivery. I loved his dry humor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so those two men were especially influential in my life. Well, you mentioned two. I mean, they're, those are two giant names in yeah. the history of the university. Do you have Bob Martin's book? Yes, you, you sent me a copy a few years ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you probably I, have sent a few and, and just didn't remember that. So yeah, man, I appreciate it. And I've I've highlighted and I've, you know, and, and many of those, many of those uh, thoughts in the book, I look back and can see in my notes, you know, in, in classes that uh, that he taught. Mm. I'm amazed at how many people, when I ask them about their professors that they remember, I mean, Bob Martin is like almost always one of the top yeah. two, you know, yeah. for him. And well, he was so humble, Tyson. He, uh, you, you may be aware of this, but I don't think Bob at the time had his had a doctorate degree. I think he had a master's degree, maybe a couple master's degrees. But even yet, he he wouldn't allow you to call him Professor Martin or Mister Martin. He insisted that we all be on a first name basis, mm. and his humility was just. Um, was just, it stuck out to me. You know, he, he didn't want to be treated any differently from anyone else, including us students. And, mm -hmm. and for us to be on a first name basis, just communicated everything about him to me. You saying that reminded me that Bob Martin never wore uh, an academic robe to commencement. That's exactly right. He didn't want to, he didn't want to stick out. He just wanted to, to blend in and be like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really neat. Yeah. That's good memories. <laughs> yeah. Great memories. Yeah. So you said that your academic career sort of shifted when you found out that your wife was expecting. So tell me where your where your wife came into this uh, journey and at what point. Well, yeah, tell me about that story. Yeah, we met in the fall of '82 when she became a student and started dating in October, and um, we were married in December of '83 in between semesters uh, in the old alumni chapel up on the hill. Mm -hmm. She was an athlete as well. Jane played volleyball. She played a year of, of uh, ladies basketball. So we were able to travel together. Jane was a, a great student, <laughs> whereas I was I was an average student. <laughs> Her family was uh, was really all about academics. My family had, had not been. So she was a good influence on me in that regard. After we started dating, she was an influence on my on my study habits and Did was a really GPA good go up? on me that way. Yeah. <laughs> After we got married. Yeah. She was unable to graduate because our, our first child, Elise came into the world in uh, February of 1986. But then Jane came back to school. She was able to do her student teaching. I think she graduated in 88. And then she came back to Johnson and did her master's work and got a uh, got a master's degree in educational technology, I think in 1990. Perfect. Neat stuff. Okay, so how did you find your way then? I mean, you're a boy from Huntington, West Virginia. How did you find your way to Poplar Springs as your, uh, I, that was your first ministry after graduation? Correct. Yeah, while a student at Johnson, I had become uh, the weekend or the part-time youth minister at Smoky Mountain Christian Church in Sevierville. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Drew Mincer just mm -hmm. a little bit ago. Drew was the brother-in-law of Carlos Fields, mm -hmm. who was the preaching minister there then. Carlos, at the time, specialized in helping the Smoky Mountain Evangelistic Association begin new churches in the area. Mm -hmm. And he began Smoky Mountain Christian Church a few years prior to that. 
And then he would stay on and help the church to get on stable footing. And then he would move on, you know, to another place. So I was very, very privileged to be able to work with him, even though it was just a part-time role. So that part-time role helped me to get my feet wet, if you will, in youth ministry and gain some experience. Even though in the beginning, when I first became a student at Johnson, did not have any intentions of going into the ministry, I think slowly over time, God just began to show me, and especially through that experience at Smoky Mountain Christian Church, that I had some gifts and talents that God could bring to bear in the area of uh, youth ministry. Hmm. So in 1986, when I was uh, in the last few months of that semester before graduation, Poplar Springs found out that their youth minister was going to be leaving And Paul Sproles, Ralph Sproles' son, approached me and asked if I would be interested in talking with them about the position, the youth ministry position at Poplar Springs. So we began those talks, those negotiations, if you will, uh, just a few weeks before uh, I left Johnson in May of 1986, before graduation. And those continued over the early, the late spring and the early summer. And then we worked things out and, and I was able to go and and become employed there in August of 86. And you, you were there for how many years before you shifted over to uh, St. Louis? About six and a half. About six and a half. Yeah. Okay. So what prompted the shift from Poplar Springs to St. Louis? Gosh, I think uh, I just needed a change, Tyson, a uh, change of scenery. And again, took a, another youth ministry position there at First Christian Church in Florissant. And it was a great experience for me. I, I got to learn a lot in just those Two short years from Charles and from Steve, very experienced guys in in ministry. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great change, even though it was just a short period of time. It was a great great change for our family. Mm. But ultimately, you came back. Yeah, the the associate position opened up back at Poplar Springs. I began to get convicted. I was you know spending probably too much time with other people's kids and not enough time with my own. I think most guys, most young, most young uh, people in youth ministry reach that point to where they, they need a change. So when the associate position, it was an education position, opened back up at Poplar Springs, it was an opportunity to change directions, but still stay in ministry and use the gifts and talents that God had given me. Mm. So you had graduated from Johnson with a degree in youth ministry, is that correct? correct. Yeah, Christian education and, and youth ministry, yeah. Okay. So being an educator in the Christian setting was kind of in your wheelhouse. How did you ultimately end up with that? Yeah. When I came to Popper Springs, uh, we had had, during the time that I was there, you know, formerly, we had a very strong education program, uh, Sunday school especially at the time. So I was able to step into that role and uh, and continue uh, the education program while, you know, taking on many other duties in the associate role doing some preaching, pastoral work, just a lot of wearing a lot of different hats in the associate role. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you as a boy from Huntington, West Virginia, and then a student at, you know, little old Kimberlin Heights, Tennessee, and then, you know, in ministry in, uh, in Poplar Springs in King, North Carolina, going to St. Louis. I mean, (laughs) seems like that's quite a different culture from anything you were used to. Yeah, that was a big change. King has grown some through the years, you know, where, where we live now and where we were at the time. I think even today, it's a, 
population, maybe 6,500. Florissant was about 52,000. Of course, the metropolitan area of St. Louis was well over a million. Uh -huh. So that was that was a different change. But I've always I've always felt like I was pretty adaptable. Okay. You know, I think the one thing that we decided pretty quickly after we arrived in St. Louis was we really did prefer small town living for our children uh, and small town values for our children. Mm, so that okay. really was one of the deciding factors for us in moving back to King. Mm. Winston-Salem, you know, we're a bedroom community, Winston-Salem here in King. Winston's a town city of about 250,000. But um, where we live in King across the Stokes County line, things are quite different from how they are in Forsyth County and Winston-Salem. So we wanted that small town experience for our kids uh, raising. You mentioned that a couple times, and I, I really appreciate that, that you went into the associate ministry to spend more time with your kids and and you want the, you know, the small town life for the sake of your kids. Well, okay. ministry is busy regardless of the position that you're in. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's demanding and it should be because it, it's important work. But I just knew that I needed to change direction in order to be able to to spend, you know, more, more time with our own children. So yeah, those, those things were important to Jane and I, and we were, we were grateful to be able to get back to King and, and had that small town feel to our, uh, to our family life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what role do you currently hold at Poplar Springs? Well, I'm in the associate role of, I've, I've worn uh, different hats at Poplar Springs. When Ralph Sproles uh, stepped down, he'd been the preaching minister at Poplar Springs for 45 years. He stepped down at the end of 2003. I stepped into the preaching role at that point. I was in it for 13 years. And then in 2017, I moved back into the associate role. And Chuck Bauer, who was in the associate role, moved into the preaching position. Mm. So um, he and I had worked together for many, many years at that point and were totally supportive of one another and worked worked very well together. So those transitions were very smooth. So currently, I'm I'm still in the associate role, look after education, uh, our life groups, uh, do some preaching. I'm involved in a lot of the pastoral work, uh, funerals, sometimes an occasional wedding, but um, I don't have to look for things to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stay pretty busy. <laughs> right. Wonderful. So, Don, throughout the course of your journey, what is something that that you've learned, uh, experiences you've had that you would want to pass on to other people? What are some things you've learned about God through your journey? Well, I, uh, again, was, was very, very grateful to have been able to work with Ralph Sproles all those years. Mm -hmm. Ralph was such a, a great, a great mentor, a deeply, deeply spiritual, uh, man. I don't know that he ever sat me down and, and, you know, taught me that many things. Most of it was just by example, Tyson. But um, the the few things that I that I did learn from from him were make changes slowly in kingdom work. Mm. When when people when people have an an opportunity to observe your life and they have an opportunity to to observe you over a long period of time, which Ralph Sproles again was with us at Popper Springs for forty five years. Even he would make changes, but those changes would be made very slowly. Another thing that he taught me was uh, communicate well about any of those changes that are going to be made. Most people don't like surprises. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been interesting. My observation in ministry through all these years has been 
that people accept change in other areas of life more quickly than they accept change in the life of their church. Mm. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's one of those things that they want to hold on to that's a, that's a constant in their life that they feel like they can trust. So in order to, to keep you know, people from becoming suspicious, <laughs> we need to communicate well and we, we need to make change very, very slowly when we make those changes. Also, I've learned um, learned this from Ralph and, and the Lord, of course, is be more people-oriented than program-oriented. Mm. The reason we're in ministry to begin with is because we love people. Our, our greatest concern for people is what their connection to God is. We sometimes complicate the process, but really what we're about is very simple. It's about helping people to be introduced to Jesus and get connected to him and then helping to deepen them in him so that they see that same role as being important in their own life. Mm. So um, programs are important. Don't misunderstand. The church has to have effective programming in order to reach people and then to deepen them, to disciple them deeper in the Lord. But they have to know that we're more about them than we are the program. Mm that we really do care about every aspect of their life. We want to see them emotionally healthy. We want to see them physically healthy. We want to see them spiritually healthy. And the only way we can do that is to, is to be sure that we keep being people-oriented far and above being program-oriented. Mm. It seems like that would uh, be a challenge, uh, you know, because so many people, when they're looking for churches, are looking for churches' programs. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And of course, with social media today, you have an opportunity to get word out there to people as to what you have going on. So those are the things, of course, that will catch their eye. More than likely, the majority of people, especially young couples today that are looking to find a church when they move into a new area, it's by way of the internet, looking at your website. So Yes, your website has to look good. It has to be catchy, if you will. You have to have things on there that let people know what you're offering. But when they arrive on your campus, they've got to know that your overwhelming concern is about them and what's going on in their life and the strength of their relationship with God, more so than the programming. So what are some ways that you would suggest churches could be intentional about developing care for the people over the program? Well, this is not a new thing, but, but you know, life groups where you uh, encourage people to, to be together. The ministerial staff is, is five strong, but we can't possibly meet every need personally by encouraging people to get involved in, in a life group, which, of course, is a program you're turning really the spiritual formation to some degree and the spiritual, the, the discipleship of those people to a capable leader who can pour into those people, but they're sharing that experience together. So beyond the teaching, you're encouraging people to become a part of one another's lives. You know, one worn out cliche that's used way too often is you essentially teach people to live life together but it does have real meaning. So um, to me, that's where those vital relationships are formed. 
that let people know that a priority within this church family, especially Popper Springs, is that you're cared for in every aspect of your life. And these people that you get close to are going to be there for you in the good times to celebrate those. And they're going to be with you in the times where you need extra attention when something goes horribly wrong and you need support and encouragement and love from God's people. Mm. Good. So, Don, having had the experience that you've had in ministry, tell me something that excites you about the future of the church and then perhaps a challenge that you see the church facing and how we might address that. Well, Popper Springs was established in 1906, so we have a great history. We were able to celebrate our, our centennial some years ago. We have a, we have a, a great history, but we have, I feel like we, we still have a great future. You know, the thing that I guess, Tyson, that has always excited me is you can take God's word and you can drop it into any culture at any point in history. And although it's an, it's an aged document, it is still as applicable to any culture that you would expose people to. Mm-hmm. You know, God's word describes itself as being living and active. Mm-hmm. So regardless of, of what changes happen in culture, what happens in a society, knowing that we can count on God's word as the absolute truth that God has spoken on any and every topic in life, it is still trusted. It is the go-to form of counsel that every single person needs to find direction in their life. Mm. So it was good for the people at Popper Springs in 1906 and it's still good for the people of Popper Springs in, in 2022. And it will continue to be into the future. What we've also said at Popper Springs through the years is, going back to some of the changes we made, and we've made many changes, as many churches have through the decades, we will change some of our methods, but the message never changes. Mm-hmm. We've tried to help people to see that there are different ways to do ministry But the same message applies. God loves us in the condition we're in. We're sinners. We're lost without him until or unless we find him. We will never be the person we could be with his help and with his assistance. So, again, we have a great past, but we have a great future. If we continue to hold on to the things that are the most important and continue to build uh, our life around the Word of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm, good. As far as the church in general, not necessarily Poplar Springs, but the church in general, what are some challenges you see and ideas you have for how we might face those challenges in the future? Oh, boy. I read a stat uh, just a couple of days ago that's very concerning that fewer people are reading their Bibles. I guess what concerns me is is the ongoing secularization of society that so many people are, you know, looking for meaning in life, fulfillment, satisfaction, if you will, apart from what God has to offer. Mm. So those are ongoing challenges to be able to help people to, to understand and realize that God has a purpose for them. They weren't, they weren't born into this world by chance, that God wants to be involved in their everyday experience. And I think the challenge of that is, is for those of us who are Christians to love people in the condition that they're in. Mm. The church has always, I think, had a, had a difficult time understanding where that line is. 
mm-hmm. that because we love people in the condition they are in, just like Jesus did, that we don't condone their sin any more than God does. We're not putting a stamp of approval on the wrong things that they do. We're simply saying that we love you like you are, just like God does, but God wants to help you to find a better way to live, a healthier way to live, so that you can reach your potential for him. So I think that's an ongoing challenge for the church. It's been easy for the church at times, I think, to sit back in our sanctuaries and and lob our (laughs) accusations at the world and, and feel, you know, kind of self-righteous about who we are as a people as opposed to what those people are doing, you know. But man, when you look at the life of Jesus and the, and those that he chose to get involved with, he never seemed to be uncomfortable being, being around worldly people. Mm-hmm. He made it a point to reach out to those folks that the religious leaders of the day were shunning. Mm-hmm. So into the future, I think we, I think a major priority has to be those who belong to Jesus, building relationships with those outside the kingdom to demonstrate what God has done in our life and to help make that attractive to those that are, that are still lost. Mm-hmm. Good. Love it. Don, this has been great. You've, uh, <laughs> you've given us a lot to think about. I really appreciate the time and, uh, and your flexibility to answer questions that I didn't prepare you for. So good no job on that. Before I let you go, though, I do want to ask you one more question. And so I'm going to ask you that question and give you just a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. So imagine, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, everybody in the world is going to listen to the Sojourner podcast. Uh, You have 60 seconds to address the world. What are you going to say to the world in those 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association at Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Don Wallace, a 1986 graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee, and a longtime servant at Poplar Springs Christian Church, or Church of Christ, right? It is Christian Church now. We just changed our name a few months ago. (laughs) Okay. So uh, at Poplar Springs Christian Church in King, North Carolina, what one-minute message would you give to the world? I would say to them, Tyson, that, um, that God loves you. He loves you in the condition you're in. I've met so many people through the years who, for whatever reason, have an inaccurate view of God, thinking that they've committed too many sins, they've done too many things wrong, they've they've crossed a line with him, they've gone too far in order for him to be able to love them and come into a relationship with him. But God's grace is huge, it's endless. Um, The Bible reminds us that God loved us even while we were sinners or while we were still sinners, depending upon the, uh, the version of the Bible that you read. And we can't get so far away from God that we cannot come home to him. So um, I've lived both ways as we've talked, and I've experienced both lifestyles. There's no comparison to the two. Being able to lay your head down on your pillow at nighttime and know the most important thing is taken care of, that you are really at peace with God because of what Jesus has done for you, dying for you on the cross and paving that way for your relationship with God. 
means everything. So God loves you and he wants to be uh, wants to become the most important thing in your life and he wants to love you into that relationship. Mm, wonderful. You know, as you say that, I think of the, you know, the title of Christ as the Prince of Peace, and that, that truly is what he is for, yep. for us in a, in a chaotic world. Don, thank you so much for, uh, for that answer, for your thoughtfulness, for your time. Thank you for being our guest today on the Sojournal Podcast. Thank you, Tyson. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Sam Cunningham. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojournal Podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.